Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 67th program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 12, verse 24, and I would like to spend a little bit more time talking about the significance of verse 24. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And the emphasis that I placed in the previous message was on the word alone, that the grain of wheat was alone. There is a lot that can be said about the production of much grain. And we, of course, are the additional grain that he is referring to. He refers to himself as the lone grain that needs to die. And then once this grain dies, once he dies, then there's an opportunity for new production. And that is what happens when people surrender to the gospel and they are born again by the Spirit of God, and they are made into a new creation, a child of God. And so that is when God is no longer alone. God is no longer alone when he has children. And the children he has are those who are born again by the Spirit according to the gospel. But what I really focused on was the issue that God was very much alone. And this is a relational quality in the sense that he was alone even though he was participating in the lives of a lot of people over thousands of years. That kind of participation left him. Those kinds of relationships resulted in God feeling alone. And so what this means is that certainly there were relationships that existed But the quality of those relationships were not what God genuinely wanted. He wanted a different kind of relationship with people. And there was no way for this to be experienced by him until after he manifested in the flesh, died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, and invoked a new covenant. It is through the new covenant that there is an opportunity for God to not be alone. But this depends on to what degree his children believe the truth. It really does. This is really important. For example, he speaks about himself as the grain of wheat that must die. And we know that through the death of the Lord Jesus, he provided for forgiveness For the sins of the entire world, the sin issue, the entire problem of sin between man and God came to an end when he forgave the sins of the world. 
But it is unusual to find a person who genuinely believes that. It is very unusual. In most cases, people still believe that God holds their sins against them in some way. They may not think of it in terms of their salvation, but they definitely think of that in terms of their relationship with him, that he holds their sins against them. So with this belief, there's nothing he can do. How can he express his love towards them? How can he express his acceptance towards them? Those who believe that he still holds their sins against them have a distorted view of the love of God. They have a distorted view of the acceptance of God. It is not real. And so there's nothing he can do with that. So what kind of a relationship can he build with a person who denies the truth that he doesn't hold their sins against them anymore? He can't. And so he is just as alone with these people who have believed the gospel to some extent, who refer to themselves as Christians, who may pray to him often. He feels just as alone with them as he does with other people who reject his existence. He can feel just as alone when you consider the kind of relationship that he genuinely wants to have. There are other things that people believe that are simply not true. For example, when there is a calamity in a person's life, when they experience great suffering, great failure, something dramatic or traumatic happens in their lives, and there are a lot of people who genuinely believe that everything that happens is a decision of God, that he predetermines everything, that whatever happens in your life is destiny. That's what it is. It is unusual to find people who don't believe in destiny. They call it predestination and other things, but that's really what they believe. They believe that if there is an event if there is a circumstance, if there's anything that happens in their lives, good or bad, it is because God decided that that is what would happen, that God has caused this kind of pain, suffering, or blessing that has happened in your life. And so when terrible things happen, it's not unusual for people to cry out to God, to pray, ask Him for understanding, ask Him for intervention. They say to God that they are going to patiently wait for him to make things right. But he may have had nothing to do with what happened to you at all. He might have, but it doesn't mean that he has to have. It doesn't mean automatically that because something has happened, that this is the will of God for your life. It could just very well be because there are some people who made some bad decisions and these decisions affected you. And instead of recognizing that people can make their own decisions, good, bad, and evil, instead of recognizing that, a person will turn to God and they will say, this is your responsibility. This is your fault. This is your doing. And I will trust you and I will expect you to make things right. They start to relate to God in this way. And yet he may have had nothing to do with it at all. Absolutely nothing.
And so how do you expect him to respond to something like this? What happens is, is that he doesn't. There is no response. And so it's just a matter of time before people start to feel that maybe God is not in their life. Maybe they're not even a Christian. Maybe God is totally indifferent. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's just an evil God who wants you to suffer like this. Maybe that's really who he is. Maybe you're one of those vessels that he made for dishonor. And then I hear from people. I hear from these people all the time asking me sometimes in absolute desperation for insight and clarity and understanding because they feel so alone. And when I tell them directly that their understanding of God is distorted, they just automatically reject what I tell them. It could be because they're the pastor of a church, or they are Dr. So-and-so because of their credentials at some seminary. This is not unusual. But folks, I'm telling you that God could easily respond with something that sounds like this. I have nothing to do with this at all. This is not what I am doing. I have nothing to do with this. And so there's nothing to say. I have nothing to say. And so God, who hears from people in this way, they say, it's your fault. This is your doing. And he's thinking, no, it's not. I have nothing to do with it at all. Here is a wonderful opportunity for God to feel alone. And when you don't hear from him, you're going to feel alone also. And this is not what God wants. But this is important to see that what we believe, what we believe is important. And it does result in this separation that happens between God and his children, between you And him, your heavenly father, it separates you from him because you have distorted theological ideas, because you believe things that simply are not true. And this is on you. It's not on him. He has provided more than enough in order to reveal the truth to you. You are going to have to recognize what the truth is and you, quite likely, are going to have to accept the consequences in your life that probably will take place if you don't believe those things that other people believe, if you decide to turn to him for who he is, for what he's done, and for the truth that he has revealed. If you won't live in reality, then between you and him, you and your God, you are going to feel alone. Now, in the next verse, verse 25, John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus goes on and he says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you have to be careful with these words that are used, such as hate and love, things like that, because there is a Hebrew idiomatic expression that is conveyed quite often when these words are used. In this case, this is what I see in verse 25, that when he says, hate your life, he says, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This doesn't mean that you are to hate your life in the sense of despise your life. 
You are to enjoy your life. You are to be thankful for your life. You are to love your life. This is a life that God has given us. We should be thankful. He's not saying that we have to hate it, as we would commonly use the word. He's saying that we are to hate our life in comparison with our eternal life. That's why he says, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's saying that we are to love our life right now, but that we are to love our eternal life more to the extent where it will be as if we hate our current physical life. Again, he is saying, using an idiomatic expression, in my opinion, he is saying that we are to love our life that we have right now, but that we are to love our eternal life more than our physical life now to the extent that it would be as if we hated our physical life. But it doesn't mean that we are to actually hate it. It just means that we are to love our eternal life more. We are to think about, appreciate, understand, pursue. We are to live our lives with a stronger emphasis, recognizing the greater importance of our eternal existence, of our eternal life. And what I was explaining before about the things that people believe that are not true, the reason, the main reason why people struggle with these things that are not true is because of the consequences they will have to endure in their present life. For example, when I have a pastor who calls me and says that life is just awful for him, and he doesn't understand why, and he doesn't understand why God is not helping him, he doesn't understand why God is not speaking to him, not giving him divine discernment, not making things right in his life, and I tell him that his view of God is distorted. I tell him that. But if he was to accept that his view of God is distorted, he's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his position at his church. That's what he's going to lose. And the income that he probably depends on is not going to be easily replaced. The consequences of believing the truth and living by the truth are greater than what he is willing to embrace. And this is what Jesus is referring to in verse 25. It's the exact same principle. It's the exact same issue that if you're really going to be connected with your God, if you're really going to have a genuine and honest relationship with him such that the two of you will not feel alone with each other, then you will find that there are going to be situations where you are going to have to make choices that will result in suffering in your life in this world right now, in your physical life, but the greater benefit will be a relationship with God that will continue into eternity. That's the trade-off. And so if you don't want to be alone, as he expressed in verse 24, and he certainly does not want to be alone, as he expressed in verse 24, then you have to pay attention to verse 25 and recognize that you will find yourself 
in situations where you will have to love your eternal life and your eternal relationship with God more than your relationships that you have with other people in this world. And it will have to be a love such that it will be as if you hate this life, as if you hate, in the example of the pastor, you hate your job, you hate your position as a pastor, you hate your position in your church, you hate being a member of your church because they promote things that are not true and that leave people alone instead of having an intimate personal relationship with their God. And they leave God alone as well because all these people are believing things that are simply not true. Again, in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does he mean at the beginning of verse 25? That he who loves his life will lose it. You will lose it because it's not eternal. You're going to die. This life that you have, that you seem to love so much, is going to end. It will end very soon. And when it does, all that you thought was important will be gone. All that you live for will be lost because you did not live according to the truth. You did not live according to reality. You did not live with your God. You lived alone thinking that you had something, but you did not. And so what you thought you had was not real. And when you physically die, that will be understood because whatever you thought you had will be lost. It will be gone. It will be meaningless. These things that people value so much are things that they are going to leave behind. You're not going to be able to take any of it with you. And so recognize that God is very serious about this. In verse 24, he used this word, alone, that gives such a profound description of what this reality is going to be like when you go before your God in the eternal kingdom. When you go before him, will you know him? Will he know you? Or will the two of you feel alone in each other's presence? And so Jesus goes on and he speaks a little bit more about our life in this world right now. In verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Those who serve God, the father will honor. His father, your father, The Heavenly Father will honor. What kind of honor will this be? It is an honor that describes that God will remember. This is something that he will remember. You will be a person who God remembers. He will honor you in the recognition that you served him on the basis of truth 
on the basis of reality. And he will remember that. That is something to be remembered. When I spoke earlier about the issue of forgiveness, when a person recognizes that the sin issue is over, that's unusual. That is something for God to remember. He will remember that. When you recognize that he is a participant in this world, he's not the person who just controls every molecule in the universe. He's a participant, an active participant. And sometimes he's involved, sometimes he's not, but he is free to decide when he will or he will not. And when you acknowledge that this is who he is, you are a person who he will remember. And he will honor you with that memory, with that recognition, with that understanding that you were a person who acknowledged that he is not the cause of all the terrible things that have happened in your life. That he is a person who is functioning in this world in order to achieve specific objectives. And you recognize what those objectives are. And you recognize what it costs in order to achieve those kinds of objectives. And you know that he is doing all that he can to draw people to himself, to save people, to resurrect people and make them into a new creation and be a child of God. And on occasion, he has opportunities for you to participate in what he's doing. And when you do, you serve your God and he will remember you and what you did and what you committed to and how you lived and what you believed and how he was able to make use of you, how he was able to see through your eyes, to hear through your ears, to speak with your mouth and to walk with your feet and to touch with your hands how he was able to reach out to other people within and through you so that they could see a glimpse of who he is and be drawn to him. When you live in reality and you live in the truth, there will be opportunities in this world where you and him can work together in this regard. You will therefore be a servant of your God and you will be remembered. That's what Jesus meant when he said that his father would honor you. Again, in verse 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. And so if you're going to serve him, you have to follow him. But you are not following him if you are believing things that are not true. Or if you have ideas about him that are distorted, that these are not real, then you are not following him. You are following your theology. You are following your own beliefs. He is not there. He is not in front of those beliefs. Those beliefs are not the path to him. He is somewhere else. And so you are certainly not where he is when you believe these things that are not true. 
It's very important to recognize and understand that our growth and maturity in Christ Jesus is defined by our discovery of the truth a little bit at a time and our embracing the truth that we did not see before and letting that be incorporated within our understanding, within our lives, and it will change the way that we relate to our God. We will relate to Him in a way that He is willing to accept, willing to embrace, willing to be a part of, and you will not feel alone at all, because He will let you know. He will express this to you. He will reveal the truth where he can be found. Again, in verse 25, John chapter 12, verse 25, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, Him, my Father, will honor. And I will explain this more in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 67th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 24 to 26, where I spent some time talking about the idea that you are to love your eternal life and the opportunity for a relationship with God more than your present life, as if you hate your present life. That's what Jesus was referring to. And I also introduced the idea of where God can be found. He can be found in the relationship that he has defined and that he is willing to have with a person. He's not going to just have any relationship that anybody wants to have with him He has a definition. He has his own idea about the kind of relationship he is willing to have with someone else. And this is what he describes as where he can be found. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,